morning. Take God's word, please, if you would, and find Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 1. And then if you need the chair Bible in front of you, it's on page 972. Now today in the sermon, we're going to be talking about falling away from the faith, falling away from the Christian faith. According to a study published in 2006 by the Barna Research Group, it says only one-fifth of people in their 20s, which is about 20%, have maintained a level of spiritual activity consistent with their high school experiences. Now, this means among that this sample of people, 80% of them had a decline in spiritual activity in the years following high school. So we see from this study, and perhaps even from our own experience, that there seems to be some correlation between what happens in the years following high school and falling away from the faith. So today we are going to take a look at the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, and we will look at some of the reasons why people can fall away from the faith. So let's start reading in verse 1 of Matthew 13. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. Now notice, first of all, in first one, the first three words, it says, that same day. So because of this, we know that the text leading up to chapter 13 should be describing what happened earlier that day. And I believe the account of the day and the events that transpired in it begin in chapter 12. So briefly, I will overview some of these events that happened that day, and then we will continue on in chapter 13. So the day that Jesus is in the middle in, he starts by performing many miracles. He's debating the Pharisees, and also he's uh, teaching the people as he travels from city to city. First of all, Jesus had healed a man who had a withered hand, and then later he had healed the entire crowd who was following him, And then finally, he healed a demon-possessed man who was also blind and mute. Now, as he was doing this, like usual, the Pharisees were standing by, and they were very hard-hearted, and they refused to believe in Jesus. However, Jesus had a large crowd following with him who did believe in him. And so, with this crowd, after the miracles that he has performed, Jesus heads down towards the sea, and the crowd follows him down there. And then this is where we arrive in chapter 13. So we see in verse 1 that Jesus gets down to the sea and sits down. Now, because of the great crowds that are following him, they keep pushing closer and closer and closer to Jesus all the way right up to the waterline on the shore. So verse 2 says that he that Jesus decides to hop into a boat, so he pushes off from shore a little ways. He sits down in the boat and then begins to give this parable to the eager crowd who is standing by listening. So here's this parable that we find in verse 3. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. 
Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, in this parable, we see at first four main components that Jesus talks about. There's the sower, the seed, the soil, and then the hindrances to the seed. So first of all, the sower is simply the person who goes about scattering the seed. And then there's the seed that the sower scatters. And then thirdly, there's the soil, which is the various types of ground upon which the seed falls. And then fourthly, there are the hindrances to the seed. So we see in the parable that, there's, that the seed is hindered by various influences. In verse 4, we see the birds come to eat the seed. In verse 6, there's the hot sun that ro- rises and scorches the seed. And then in verse 7, there are the thorns that grow up and choke the seed. Now, with these four components, we also find four soil situations that the Lord gives in this parable. And I'll, I'll t- outline them briefly here. There's the road situation, the rocky situation, the thorny situation, and the fertile soil situation. So in verse 4, Jesus introduces the road situation. So as the the sower is going along, he's scattering seed wherever he's going, and some of this falls onto the road, and so there was no good soil in which the seeds could grow. So these seeds sit on top of the road, and the birds came and eat the seeds. Now in verse 5, we see the rocky situation. And because of all the rocks that were in and beneath the soil, there wasn't much room for the roots to go down into the ground from the seed. So rather than growing deep roots, the seeds would just develop little roots and then the plants would shoot up quickly. But then as the sun would rise up in the hot of the day, it would scorch the plants and they would wither for lack of water and a lack of nutrients. So that is the rocky situation that we see. Now in verse 7, we see the thorny situation. And this represents the seeds that have fallen among ground that also has thorns growing in it. We see that the thorns are going to grow up along with the seed that's sprouting up and it will choke, choke the seeds and so they do not bear fruit. And then finally, we see the fertile soil situation. And this represents the nice, rich uh, farm soil that we find. Um, Across from my house, there's a farm field that they were tilling yesterday, and all day a large truck was going spreading manure, and so that created quite a delightful smell. But this is, this is the kind of soil that the seed falls upon finally in the parable, where it is able to take root and grow and produce much fruit. So these are the four situations we see, the road, the rocky situation, the thorny situation, and the fertile soil situation. Now, I think if Jesus had been in Marquette at the time he gave this parable, he would have added a fifth situation, and it would have been something like this. And other seeds fell in what would have been a good field, but a surprise blizzard in mid-May after a warm spring stunted the growth of the seeds. Why? Because it's the UP, that's why. So, so let's take a look at how, how we can interpret this parable. Now that we've seen the statement of it, let's go on to interpreting. So we see that there's the soil, the seed, the sower, and the hindrances, and then the four soil situations. So what do all these mean anyway? 
when we interpret parables, we have to be careful because it can be a temptation to try to overstudy all the little details and try to allegorize everything that we see, whereas parables are often used just to illustrate a main point. So if we notice later in chapter 13, starting in verse 18, we can see that Jesus just interprets the parable right away for us. So we have to do much less work in the interpretation. So not only do we have the inerrant expression of the parable in verses 3 through 9, but now we find the infallible explanation of the parable, starting in verse, 20, uh, starting in verse 18. So let's read it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So first of all, we're going to take a look at what the four components of the parable represent. So first of all, we'll do that, and then we will study the four soil situations. So what is the seed? If we look in verse 19, it says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom. So the seed is the word of the kingdom, or the gospel, or the truth of Christ. It is a message that is to be spread. So secondly, now who is the sower? Jesus doesn't give a specific explanation of who the sower is, but there are a couple things that we can learn from this parable about who the sower is. So first of all, the sower is a person who spreads the seed or spreads the gospel. I think it would be fair to say that any believer who shares the faith could be considered as the sower in this parable, whether it would be the Lord Jesus himself as he went from city to city teaching and preaching, or whether it's a young believer who might be sharing the faith with his neighbor. Anybody who spreads the gospel would be represented as the sower in this parable. So the sower spreads the seed, but not only this, but the sower must also be a person who possesses the seed or possesses the gospel. So we know that if the sower is to spread the seed, he must first possess the seed. So the sower is the one who has the true gospel message, and the sower is the one who spreads the true gospel message. So that's the seed and the sower. Now, what does the soil mean? So the four types of soils, the road, the rocky ground, the thorny soil, and the fertile soil represent the conditions of people's hearts. Some are receptive to hear the word of God, or excuse me, some are not receptive to hear the word of God at all, and this is like the seed that falls onto the road. Some people may appear to receive it temporarily, but then fall away from it, and then this is like the this is like the seed that falls on the rocks or among the thorns where it does not 
endure. It's temporary. And then finally, there are some people who receive the gospel permanently. And this is like the seeds that fall on the good soil. Now we're going to take a more detailed look at these different soils in a little bit when we study the four soil situations. And now finally, what do the hindrances represent? So we see three hindrances in the parable. There are the birds, the hot sun, and the thorns. In verse 19, we see that the birds fly down to eat the seeds off of the road, and we see that Jesus says these birds represent the evil one. He comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart of a person who does not understand the word of the kingdom. So Satan is at work in the hearts of those who are hard-hearted towards the gospel, and this is what the birds represent. Now in verse 21, we see that the scorching sunlight in the day represents tribulation or persecution that comes on behalf of the gospel. So as a person finds himself in difficult circumstances in life because of the faith that he has received, or he is ridiculed or persecuted for the sake of Christ, this is what the scorching sunlight is going to represent. And then finally, the third hindrance, the thorns. In verse 22, we see that the thorns represent the cares and the riches of the world. And these are very uh, dangerous temptations. As Jesus says, they will choke the word so that it proves unfruitful. So those are the four components of the parable. Now, before we move on to look at the four soil situations, I would like to remind you that we are studying this parable in light of the topic of falling away from the Christian faith. And so we're going to learn that these situations, the, the three negative situations, the road situation, the rocky situation, and the thorny situation, all represent reasons why people fall away from the church. But before we look at these, I would like to address briefly the issue of falling away from the faith. It may seem at first glance that Jesus is saying in this parable that there are people who accept the gospel, who get saved, but then they fall away from the faith and thereby lose their salvation. But is this really what Jesus is saying? I think not. The Bible is very clear that believers cannot lose their salvation, as Pastor Brian explained to us last week in his sermon on how salvation is forever. We cannot lose our salvation. And I'd like to share a few passages that demonstrate that, I think, quite clearly. The first one is Romans chapter 5, verse 9. It says, Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. It says we shall be saved, not we might be saved, not we could be saved, but we shall be saved. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, now listen to this part, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ. And finally, in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, Jesus is speaking, and he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Christ preserves his saints. Praise the Lord. So we see that salvation is forever, but what about people who seem to be following Christ in the church and then they fall away later on, and now it seems that they may have given up? I believe this issue is addressed in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, where he says, For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Now, in the original context of this verse, it is describing antichrists who left the fellowship of the church. However, I believe that the principle found in this verse applies to individuals generally in the church. So the logic that we find in the verse is that if they had been of us, then they would have continued with us. And we can also restate this conditional another way. If they did not continue with us, then they were not of us. If they did not continue with us, then we can conclude, therefore, that they were not of us. So when we consider people who seem to leave the church and fall away from the faith, we can conclude that since they did not continue with us, they were therefore not of us, meaning they were not genuinely saved in the first place. So with all this in mind, let's now look at the four soil situations, and we will read again verse 19, talking about the road situation. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So this is the seed that fell along the road as the sower was scattering it. The road situation represents the type of person who neither understands nor accepts the gospel. And there are two distinct elements at work in the heart of this kind of person. First of all, we see that there is a lack of understanding in the heart of this person because of a hard heart. And secondly, the second component at work is that there's the evil one taking away the message of the gospel from that person's heart. So first of all, for the lack of understanding, as we see, uh, earlier in this chapter, in verse 14, Jesus is talking to his 12 disciples and he quotes a passage from Isaiah which very accurately describes this type of person who does not understand the gospel. So listen to what Jesus says about this kind of person. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear. In their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Now, aren't the Pharisees just a classic example of this kind of person? Remember how I was saying earlier in the day before Jesus gives this parable, he had been going about doing miracles and teaching the crowds. He had healed a man with a withered hand. 
He had healed an entire crowd, and he had restored a demon-possessed man, all right in front of the Pharisees. And just after he did all this, the Pharisees come up to Jesus and say, Could you show us a sign, please? If that's not blindness, I don't know what is. So surely, surely their lack of understanding was rooted in a heart that was hard and darkened. So this is why they did not understand the gospel, and this is why they did not accept Christ. So not only in this type of individual is there a lack of understanding, but secondly, there is also the influence of the evil one. Verse 19 says, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Now, there's a similar passage to this idea in Ephesians chapter 2, which says, And you are dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. So in this passage, we see that it's describing the condition of all humans before coming to Christ. So we were all under the influence of the evil one. We were all hard of heart. And perhaps if there are some of you in the audience today who are not saved, this may describe your current heart condition. But if it's true that all of us were in this state of heart before we were saved, how is it then that we get out of this position? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us the answer later in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So we see that it is God who gets us out of our fallen condition, and it is God who restores us, it is God who makes us alive. In Ezekiel 36:26, God is speaking, and he says, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. So it is God who must transform our hearts. But since it's God who does this transforming, is there anything that we can do as humans to help a person that has a hard heart? Of course there is. First of all, we can pray for that person. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, James 5.16. And secondly, we can continue to share the gospel with them, for the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, Romans 1.16. So, so we've been talking about the road situation here. Now, how does all this relate to falling away from the church? There are perhaps many young people who grow up in the church, and um, now I'm talking about the church in general, not Bethel in particular. But there may be many young people who grow up going to church with their families, but they still have hardness of heart because they have never truly accepted the gospel for themselves. So as they grow up and they move on in life, they may break the habit of attending church with their families. And so since they didn't possess the gospel, when they leave the church, they leave the gospel behind with it. So this is one reason why we may see young people who fall away from the church. Now let's move on to the Iraqi situation in verses 20 and 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. 
yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So this text is now representing the seed that falls on the rocky soil. And again, the rocky soil is a representation of another heart condition that we find people in. So we see that this individual, it says they hear the word and then they immediately receive it with joy. But since it says they receive the gospel, doesn't that mean they become saved, but then later fall away? Not necessarily. Now imagine if you would, a man who goes home after a hard day's work. He's been out in the rain all day working on a construction site, and he had uh, failed to grab his lunch bag on the way out of the door that morning. So he gets home and he is just famished. Now, there's one good thing about forgetting your lunch, and that is when you get home, you don't have to pack a lunch for tomorrow. But suppose that he gets home, and to his delight, his wife has prepared a meal for him, and it's ready as he walks in the door. And imagine if she were to hand him this plate full of food. Surely he would receive the plate with joy. But imagine if all he did was hold this plate and just carry it around with him as he went about his business for the rest of the evening, just holding it. What good would the food do to this man? Nothing at all. In the same way, I believe that this rocky soil represents somebody who may receive the gospel with joy, but they just carry it. They don't partake in it. They don't believe it for themselves. And so it does them no good at all. So the person who handles the word in this way, it says, has no root in himself, in verse 21. He endures for a while, but then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he falls away. So the danger that we see for this individual is that he has received the gospel, but he has not believed the gospel, and so it has not taken root in his heart. And so when any difficulty or persecution or tribulation comes about because of this faith, he falls away instead of standing firm. Now, I think high school and college, especially, are times in life where we can often find ourselves immersed in tribulations for being Christians. It seems that in many academic settings, the default position of many professors and students is to assume that Christian beliefs are false. And many, many of the people in these environments operate from a worldview that does not allow for the truth of Christ. So this is the danger of the rocky situation which is the danger of not being rooted in the gospel and so falling away when we face opposition. But how is it that we can prepare for this opposition or help those who may soon face opposition so that they don't fall away? Well, first of all, the most important thing that we can encourage people to know is to make sure that they themselves believe the gospel. This is the most important way that we can guard against the opposition that comes to those who are genuinely saved. In Romans 8, Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So if we are saved, we have the love of Christ. And since nothing is therefore able to separate us from the love of Christ, the surest way to endure persecution is to be rooted in Christ so that Christ will sustain us for he is faithful to us. 
So the first way we can prepare is to know that we are saved. Secondly, we must have the proper mindset for persecution. And the proper mindset for persecution that we find in the Bible is, counter, is very counterintuitive, so we ought to take care to make sure that we have a biblical view of persecution. And one of the clearest statements of this position is in Matthew 5, uh, verse 10. Jesus is speaking. He said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And in Romans chapter 12, verses 12 and 14, Paul writes, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. So rather than running to a state of hopelessness and despair if we are persecuted for Christ, we ought to rejoice, for the Lord says that he will bless those who are persecuted for his sake. And also, not only should we rejoice, but we also ought to be prepared to shower blessings on those who persecute us. And this is, this is the most counterintuitive part. But if we do this, if we are faithful to show the love of Christ even to those who are opposing us, it will be a great testimony to the world of the conviction that we have of the gospel of Christ, and it will be a great display of the working power of Christ in our hearts. So to prepare for persecution, we must be saved, we must have the proper mindset, and thirdly, we must be prepared to defend the faith. Jude verse 3 says, Beloved, although I was, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And first, first Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and respect. So we must be prepared to defend and give an answer for the faith that we have. And I would like to say that we as a church and myself as an individual have been greatly blessed by the ministry that Chris has had with us at Bethel. He's doing an excellent job of teaching us how to know and to defend the faith that is ours. And you've been a very great blessing to me personally over the years as I've wrestled with various questions. And you've been a blessing to certainly all of us here as well. So we praise God for you. So the rocky situation is describing the problem of receiving but not believing the gospel, and we need to guard against persecution that comes from it. And so now let's move on and look at the thorny situation in verse 22. <clears throat> As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So the thorny situation is the situation where the sower is scattering seed that lands on soil that is uh, infested with thorns and thorn seeds as well. And again, this situation describes a third position of the heart or a life situation. And it is describing the person who has the option of 
choosing to follow Christ or choosing to follow the cares and the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And of these, of these three negative soil situations, I believe that this thorny situation is the most tragic because it describes a person who, given the, option, the options of receiving the gospel and following Christ or turning to follow the passions of the world and the pursuit of riches, they weigh their choices and they deem Christ as less valuable than the things of this world. And it is a tragedy that they turn away from the Lord and they follow the vain pursuit of wealth and riches. And this temptation to follow the world, I believe, is especially strong in the college environment. Many young people in the church may fall away due to the temptations and the desires that the world presents. There's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, as the scripture says. These three things are displayed all through life, but I believe they are especially flaunted in the university environment. We are constantly bombarded with messages that are telling us that our joy in this life is found from the things we have and the pleasures that we do and the money that we can accumulate rather than being found in Christ. I remember in my freshman year of college, I was in a class called Freshman Seminar, and this class was basically to introduce students to the college life and to give them practical tips as they started school. And one day in this class, I remember the professor had each student around the room go and state their reasons or reason for coming to college. And I distinctly remember one young lady, when it was her turn to give her reason for wanting to go to college, it was her turn and she said, because I want to get rich. Do you know what the Bible says about people like her? It says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 1 Timothy chapter 6. So this young lady is bound for a life of danger and destruction if she continues on her pursuit to be rich. And so is anybody else who desires to be rich. So how is it that we can face this temptation of riches? Well, we can adopt a biblical view of money. My favorite passage in all of the Bible regarding money is found in Proverbs chapter 30. It says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So we should not seek to be rich, but we should seek to have enough for what is in accordance with our needs and what is in accordance with our desires. And we are free to ask the Lord to help us with these needs. Give us today our daily bread, as Jesus said. And Jesus also says in Luke 12, verse 15, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. There's much more to life than money and the things that we own. And if we choose to pursue these things of the world, our wallets may be full, but our hearts will be empty. So now, finally, in verse 23, we 
get to the fertile soil situation. It says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So of the four situations, we finally get to the one where the seed takes root, it grows up, and it bears fruit. So what is it that allows the seed to be successful in taking root, growing, and bearing fruit? I think there are three components that we find in the parable that allow this fruit to come about. Component number one is the sower, because it is the sower who brought the seed to the soil. And this is the person who goes about sharing the gospel of Christ. And this is necessary to bring fruit about, as uh, Romans chapter 10 states. It says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in, whom of, in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So first of all, the sower is used in order that fruit may come. Secondly, the seed is needed that fruit may come. And the sower must have the proper seed, which is the true gospel of Christ. Excuse me. The gospel is the good news and of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, stated very simply. And we must make sure that we are bearing the true gospel. So what is a more detailed look at the true gospel? Well, we know that Jesus Christ was of the line of King David, born of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit, and thus he was the Son of God. He lived a sinless life under the law and upheld it in every point. He was truly God and he was truly man and the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. He died bodily on the cross for the sins of the world and he rose on the third day bodily and appeared to many people and then ascended to be at the right hand of God the Father. In Jesus Christ, uh, or to everyone who repents and believes in Jesus Christ, he gives eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, and exemption from the wrath of God against sin. This is the true gospel, and it alone is the seed that is required for the plant to take root and to bear fruit. So, not only do we need the sower and the seed, but finally we need the good soil. And this is the third component used in bearing fruit. So the good soil is the person who hears the word and who receives the word and understands it. This is the individual who has been drawn by God to himself and this individual has a repentant heart and is willing to put his trust and faith in Jesus Christ alone. So we need the sower and the seed and the good soil to bear good fruit. Now, to guard against falling away, we need to accept the true gospel, we need to prepare for persecution, and we need to be ready to defend the faith and to guard ourselves against the temptations of worldliness, but all the while remembering that it is Christ who sustains us and that it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 Now, if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, I would urge you to do so today while you still have the opportunity. We are not guaranteed tomorrow, nor even the rest of today. Indeed, today is the day of salvation. Perhaps God is drawing you to himself, 
and you desire to turn from sin and turn to Christ to receive forgiveness and new life. If you do, you may pray to Christ right now, ask him to forgive you for your sins, tell him that you believe in Christ, that you trust him, and ask him to give you new life and to spare you from the judgment that is to come, which will be poured out on those who refuse to accept God's message. As C.S. Lewis has said, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Well, would you please join me in a word of prayer as we close. Father God, we thank you for your word that you have revealed to us. Thank you for divine revelation and the truth that you communicate to us through it. Thank you for Christ who died to save us from sin. Thank you that we may receive it by faith. Thank you for glorifying Christ through his work on the cross. And I pray also for the graduates today that you would help them to be faithful to you, guard them from the temptations and the evil of the world, help them to stay strong in the faith. Please bless them with Christian fellowship as they go on in their lives. We pray that you would be glorified through them and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please?